All I have are echoes, laughter, footsteps in mud, the clatter of wooden spoons on dinner plates. Your words are muffled. Your voices are sweet. We sounded happy. I wish I could remember what you looked like, who you were, or what we meant to each other. But that is impossible now. Those were the terms, along with my service. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesar. Episode 1, Grey Sky. My name is Claude Von Der, at least it is now. Who I was before all this, before I took on this name, this face, and this contract, is lost to me. I keep this chronicle of my journeys so that I, <laughs> this version of me, may live on in the hearts of those who come across it. My choices, where they have led me, well, suffice to say, I don't have much time. Should the worst happen, I hope that in some small way this will help the truth come to light. For all of Exesar, for my family, and for myself. I do not remember when my story began, yet all stories must have a beginning, and so I offer this, the beginning of the end. The village of Grey Sky lived up to its name. Monochrome clouds smothered the sky. Lazy raindrops sailed on a bellowing wind. I stomped briskly towards the entry gate from the northern road, pausing only briefly to pull my cloak tighter around my chest and neck. Grey Sky was the opposite of a tourist town. Barely five hundred people lived there, hiding in the Rika marshes on the border between Gallen and Ildeheim. Out there, nature was at her most demanding. Food was scarce. Creatures of all kinds lurked in the fogs and in the mud, but such hardships also provided shelter, a natural barrier between Grey Sky and the rest of Exesar. People came to Grey Sky not to visit, but to escape. Small wonder, then, why my arrival received a less than warm greeting. That's far enough. Two guards stepped squarely between myself and the gate, 
They wore cracked, boiled leather armor that didn't fit. Their eyes starved for sleep. The one who spoke was taller, with hair like embers and ash. The other was young and seemed very much aware of the fact. They stared me down, hands poised on the pommels of their swords. I stopped, pulling off my hood to let them see my face. They studied me. What's your business here? The red-headed man hollered over the wind. I am Claude Von Der, I replied. I'm expected. That's not what I asked. I was summoned. The incident. I pulled up my right sleeve, bearing the badge of office branded on my forearm. Both men froze. The wind picked up and caused the younger one to stumble back. The older man locked eyes with me, even more distrustful than before. Forcing a grim smile, he stepped aside and gestured for me to pass ahead of him. Doesn't want his back to me, I thought to myself. The guards called for the gate to open. We stepped through into the main street, a wide hearthstone path flanked by rows of hastily built shacks. Aging marsh oak and bogwood, lit mostly by oil lamps. Not surprising. This far out from civilization, they wouldn't have the luxury of glow bulbs or shine stones. Few townsfolk were outside, and the ones who were hastened in when they saw us approach. The air was moist and smelled of algae. I waited at the gate for someone to fetch a superior. Where's your horse? came a voice just behind my shoulder. It was the young guard. His brown eyes were wide with questions. I don't think he'd taken them off me since he'd seen the mark. Pardon? You didn't walk here, the young man said. Your boots hardly have a speck on them. It was true. Aside from a little rainwater, my clothes, a cured leather jerkin, silk shirt, lambskin breeches, and a fur cloak embroidered with silver, were clean from head to toe, too pristine to have just endeared days on foot. My lack of protection, effects, or entourage must have seemed especially odd as well. The young man's curiosity was natural. I ignored him. A few moments later, two figures approached me from the guardhouse down the road. The first, I assumed, was the captain of the Grey Sky Watch. His shiny, half-plate armor and war axe were immaculately kept, far too polished for a common grunt. Short and stocky, but surprisingly fit for his advanced age. An unsightly mole distracted from his otherwise clean face. He scanned me as they closed in, producing a thin grimace and tensing his gait. The woman at his side was a demon. At least, one could be forgiven for thinking as much on first sight. Swooping black horns protruded from her forehead, intertwining and curling tightly across the top of her head, almost like a braid of hair. Glowing yellow eyes with no pupils, gray skin, Short black hair neatly framed a young face as it smiled at me with a full row of shark-like teeth. She wore a yellow dress gilded with jewels, covering down to her black hooves as they clopped alongside the captain. Captain Gren, 
Grey Sky Watch, grumbled the captain as they drew closer. You must be the help. Claude Von Der, I returned civilly. I offered my hand. Captain Gren shook it, hesitantly. He gestured to the woman at his side. May I present High Priestess Tosca of Grey Sky? I bowed to her. A moment passed. She relaxed her bare trap of a smile into a knowing smirk. Of course they sent you, she drawled. I smirked back. Sorry to disappoint. I suppose it makes sense. Why use prize stallions for grunt work when one has a perfectly good ass? I was about to reply when she turned sharply and started into town. Gren clipped along behind her. I followed them. Briskly, we passed by standard Main Street fare. A butcher, a bank, a tailor, along with what I would call more unconventional things. A marbled shrine to Skalos, the unmade goddess, towered over us in the center square. People prayed at its base, offering money, wine, and fresh meat. An intricate mural covered the ground, depicting Skalos punishing sinners, her outstretched fingers becoming multi-headed serpents that devoured the unclean masses. As we walked past the shrine, passers-by whispered reverent praises at Tosca under their breath. A closer inspection revealed the letter S tattooed on several of their necks in the form of a snake. Tosca stopped to kiss several of their hands and to collect gold from the base of the shrine. You've been busy, I said to Tosca as we continued on. I tried not to sound accusatory. She cast me a side eye. Oh dear, starting already, are we? I'm just curious. I don't recall Skalos being this popular with anyone outside your own people. I simply wanted to share some Draelish culture. If these kind folk find hope in the unmade, where's the harm in that? A small town with small-minded people far from civilization. However did a humble thing like you become their high priestess? I'm relatable, Tosca grinned. You can get a beer with me. I did not return the grin. Are you hurting these people, Tosca? What kind of thing is that to ask an old friend? I'm not hurting them, I'm... Exploiting them, there's a difference. I grabbed her arm, stopping. Captain Gren's hand went to his axe, but Tosca stayed him with her hand. I met Tosca's eyes sharply. Don't lean too much on our history, old friend. If the mist finds your intentions wanting, you know what I'll have to do. Tosca took her arm back, smiling grimly. I know. Von Der. But I also did my research. I have called you for aid. As kin of the Ebon Mist, you are soul-bound not to harm a client until the case is resolved. And trust me, this one's a brain melter. By the time you solve this one, I will have already made my dashing escape. I don't understand. Why call the Ebon Mist at all? if you knew you'd need to run once we saw this cult of yours. 
At this, Tosca's bravado went cold. She resumed walking at a slower pace than before. Her eyes looked everywhere but me. Her voice was quiet. It wasn't ideal, believe me. What we're facing... I tried to ignore it at first, sweep it under the rug. Then it spread. My disciples demanded action. I tried everything. The Silver Sisters, Stonehatch. I even reached out to those dunces I used to play do-gooder with back in Mira. They never responded, useless cretins. Can't imagine why, I muttered. So, what are we dealing with? Ask him, Tosca nodded at Captain Gren. What do you know? I asked the captain. Nothing of consequence, Gren mumbled. Night it started, I was overseeing repairs to the guardhouse when I heard the scream from the southwest side of town. An old woman's house. Time I got there, smoke was seeping out from the cracks in the doors. Thought someone was trying to burn the evidence. Then I broke in and saw. Saw what? Nothing. Captain Gren looked angry, as though the answer he'd given had been taunting him in private for days. No marks, no footprints, no sign of struggle. Just her body, laying in the center of the room, unconscious. Two of my guards tried to move the body, but they... Uh, well, they... They fainted upon touching her, Tosca finished. As asleep as the woman herself. A third guard raced to their rescue and fell asleep too. Then we barred entry to the house. That was a month ago. Since then, the town has become afraid not. Some complain of vivid nightmares, only to wake and find scratches and bite marks on their bodies. Others can't sleep at all, not for weeks on end. Almost everyone in Grey Sky can hear a low growling at night, like that of a bear. At last her eyes met mine. I hear it too. If left unchecked, I fear all of us will eventually go mad. We reached the house, an unassuming rectangular building, not quite a longhouse but similar in design. The windows had been boarded up, and several guards were posted at the door. Gren waved the guards aside and opened the door. An entry hall greeted us, with a wooden archway leading into the main room. Homemade tapestries with religious-looking symbols hung on the walls. Judging by the crude portraits of five godlike women on them, I guess the victim was an Adenist. Odd place for someone like that to live out their twilight years, I thought. Aiden was the sworn enemy of Skalos. Bottles of incense lined the windows, and the room still held their lingering lavender aroma. There was a shoddy wooden dinner table and a chair in the center of the room, a bed and bookcase in the back. A long dormant fire pit rested in the center, reminding me of how cold it was in here. 
and just beyond the fire pit, laying, no, not laying, resting on the ground, was the woman, frizzled white hair in a tight bun, bland woolen tunic and pants, a thin scar on her right cheek. She laid perfectly straight and still, her arms folded over her chest. Gren's men lay beside her, in decidedly less tranquil positions. Their clothes looked untouched, no fresh marks or blemishes across their skin. I nearly knelt down to check their pulses before catching myself. Even in the dim light, though, I could see that the woman was breathing. The guards were, too. Everything was as Tosca and Gren had said. A pristine house, no visible signs of forced entry. Not a thing out of place. Pots and pans lined a wall in perfect order, bedsheets and long dry clothes neatly folded. I made the usual checks. Cover-ups, indents in the walls or floor, loose strands of hair or bloodstains. I could see nothing. Well? Tosca asked. I thought for a spell. Gren said he saw smoke coming through the door. It was a statement, not a question, as I ran my fingers across the hearth of the fire pit. Nothing but ash and soot. Less tidy than the rest of the house, perhaps, though by itself it told me nothing. Yes, Gren said. Though now I think on it, smoke might be a bit strong of a word. It was thinner, the smoke didn't billow out in clouds the way smoke tends. It was certainly dark, mind, but it sort of floated into the air, evaporating quickly like a kind of... like a kind of mist. My attention turned to Gren fully. Silence filled the room. The two of them took the implication of my question immediately. I... I suppose, Gren said. Are you... Are you thinking this was one of your own, Von Der? Tosca's voice trembled in a manner in which I was unaccustomed. I frowned. It was unlikely that another kin would have done this. Isolde would have known instantly, if not the rest of us. But then, she is not the only shadow fright in Exeser. Others out there controlled smoke and shadows. Another might have... I stopped. Something in the air had changed around me. It felt electric, pregnant with intention. It was like the tingling one gets when they suddenly feel as if they are being watched. I had a feeling I knew what it was. I started to address it, then paused, remembering I had two witnesses in the room with me. I need a moment to myself. Tosca and Gren exchanged glances. Tosca nodded at him, and the two left the house, shutting the door behind them with a creaking slam. I was left in front of the cold, lightless hearth of the fire pit, staring at the four sleeping bodies, listening to the ringing of my own ears in the absence of sound. Unbuttoning my sleeve, I once more revealed the symbol of the ebon mist on my forearm. I knelt, 
pressing my hand into the floor. The black symbol, a sword wrapped in coiling tendrils of mist, began to glow with an ice-blue light. I spoke. I am Claude Von Der. I am kin of the Ebon Mist. I would have audience with the spirits of this place. Silence. Slowly I turned, looking around me for any sign. Nothing. A flutter from the corner of my eye pulled me around, but it was only a moth. No doubt flew in when the door opened. Everything else was still as the shadow of a tombstone. I rose, frowning. I had been wrong before, but it was not often. Letting go of my focus, I watched the mark of the ebon mist fade its glow into black once more. I explored the rest of the house, taking care to step nimbly over the sleeping bodies. At the back of the house was an old, square bookcase, its beleaguered shelves bending from the weight of their burden. Shafts of pale marsh light pierced through the boarded-up windows and touched some of the texts. I inspected them. A person's books are like a self-portrait. Not just the content, but how they're kept. This woman's collection looked as old as she was. Spines bent, pages flaking, faded titles on the covers. Several had been dusted off recently, with bookmarks sticking out. I pulled them out and flipped through. Scribbled on the first page of all of them was the phrase, property of Eleanor Liger. Miss Liger had more than a few religious texts, the Pyres of Roe, the Adinium, the Five of the Six. Other works included a treatise on the Sundering and a research text focusing on the mystery of the lost Alzerian race. But the one that caught my eye was a relatively thin book near the end of the middle shelf, it was not neatly in place like the others, but instead looked crammed in from an angle, almost like it had been set back in a haste. The title read, An Exploration of the Northern Wastes. I flipped to the bookmarked page. It bore an illustration of a bear, but with human-like arms and hands, legs and feet. It was standing upright, and wearing a kind of sarong around the waist. The text beside it read, But when we heard them speak, our hearts froze in place. Elwyn, our guide, insisted it was an illusion, or perhaps some fright had ensorcelled our perception. Then they saw us. One roar, thunderous, proud, and raw, silenced our debate. Beasts who were once men, or men with the power of beasts, it did not matter. What mattered was they were hungry. I considered the page for a while. Clearly it referred to the Urso, the bear people of the northern province of Urzai and Bladefang Mountain. Discovered only centuries ago, 
the reclusive Urso were a mystery to most of Exeser. Aside from a short, yet bloody, conflict a few decades ago, it was rare that one made an appearance south at all. Why the interest, I wondered. Simple curiosity? No, nothing is simple when you live in grey sky. I set the book back. A sudden sharp clang rang out. Something fell out of the book, hitting the wood-paneled floor. I picked it up. It appeared to be a thin slice of black metal, with fine grooves and indents across the surface. It was cold, heavier than expected, and about three inches long. Looking at the book again, I noticed a seam had been cut along the edge of the back cover. She was hiding this. I turned, making for the door to show the piece to Tosca. Something stopped me. That same electricity in the air. I looked down at the four sleeping bodies by the fire pit. Miss Liger was no longer sleeping. Her eyes stared up at me, confused, afraid. Her body and face held still in the same position as before, but her eyes pulsed with desperation, as though she was trapped in her body on that floor, begging for freedom. I knelt down in front of her. I'm not here to hurt you, I said gently. I'm trying to find out what happened to you. Who did this? Can you give me some sort of sign? Miss Liger vomited the word, as though her own lips were fighting against her saying it. E ever awake? Ever waking? I don't know what that... Ever wake? She said again, louder and more pained than before. Ever wake? Ever wake? Ever... <laughs> she was choking. I lunged to help her, but again stopped myself. There was no guarantee I wouldn't be affected like the three guards. Miss Liger pleaded at me with her eyes, as her paralyzed body convulsed quietly and her otherwise tranquil face turned purple. I watched, stunned, helpless. I could call for help, but what could anyone do? Someone or something was doing this to her, and she was fighting with every inch of her will to get the truth out. I'm sorry. I can't help you now, but maybe I can find who did this. Why? Why did you come here? What were you running from? Why Grey Sky? With enormous effort, Miss Liger opened her mouth again, ready to speak. Then, Ugh! with a guttural cry, her mouth closed, her eyelids shut, and she was again still. This time, she was not breathing. For a moment that felt like years, I sat on the floor and stared at Miss Liger's lifeless body. Then I jumped, as I saw the bodies of the three guards begin to stir. One of them, a tall, gangly fellow with an oversized helmet, pushed himself up to his knees. He appeared disoriented, confused, 
but otherwise healthy. He looked at me. Suddenly, the widest, most sincere smile I had ever seen spread across his face. I just had the most wonderful dream, he said. I led the guards out of the house and explained what happened to Gren and Tosca. With some hesitation, the guards eventually found they could now touch Miss Liger with no adverse effects. Tosca and I watched as they wrapped up the body and loaded her onto a horse-drawn cart. They'll want to burn her, Tosca said, to cleanse the curse. I'll kill any who try, I thought. She's better off with me. We need her intact. It seems as though she was the focal point for the curse. I can have my people take a closer look at her. Along with that strange stick you found, do you suppose it's Alzerian technology? I took it out again, scanning the intricate carvings in the daylight. Nothing we have today can make marks this detailed in something so small, though its purpose is anyone's guess. We watched Captain Gren whip the cart's horse into motion, heading for the city gates. So, does this mean we're free? Tosca looked at me, her face hopeful. Of the curse, I mean. If Gren's guards woke up, then... Maybe. By invoking the mist... I may have disrupted the flow of whatever magic stemmed from Miss Liger. In time, though, it will return, I suspect. Yes, until the heart of whatever causes it has been cut out. Perhaps this Everwake? I don't know. A wordless moment passed. Then Tosca sighed. Well, I'd better be on my way in that case. Sin while Aiden sleeps, as they say. What about your followers? Oh, I'm sure they'll be fine. After all, you're on the case now, right? I shook my head. You never change, Tasca. Thanks. She smiled, baring her knife-like teeth again. I don't suppose you'll overlook the whole me-starting-a-cult thing, for old time's sake? Not a chance. Pity. Tosca took my hand and kissed it dramatically. In that case, Claude Von Der, we shall never see each other again. Until the next time you cause trouble. Or if I need a good ass, she said with a wink, and walked back into town, rounding a corner and leaving my sight. For what I was certain would not be the last time. Not far from Grey Sky, sticking out of the mud flats of the fog blind marsh, there was a door. A large obsidian double door with a vaulted archway, standing like an obelisk attached to nothing. The emblem of a sword wrapped in mist was carved into both sides. I stood before the door now. Miss Liger's linen-wrapped body over my shoulder. I placed my hand on the door. Again, 
The mark on my arm glowed an icy blue, as did the mark on the door. Suddenly, the door itself evaporated into an ebon mist, retaining its shape but revealing an infinite path of swirling shadows inside. Then, as I had done so many times before, and would likely do until the day I died, I stepped through. Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Music and sound effects courtesy of Garage Band and Sword Coast Soundscapes. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.